Anybody watching the Olympics? Anybody? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. It's fun to watch. You're allowed to watch it. Um, I got this article off of uh, Yahoo Sports uh, this past week. And uh, did you hear about Mongolia? They they uh, they got the gold in, uh, I think it's wrestling, right? Yeah, uh, in wrestling. First gold medal ever in the history of Mongolia. They never, ever, 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 ever. And the Olympics been around for a long time. They've never got a gold medal before. This is the first time ever they've got a gold medal. So I was reading through this article, and I thought, that's pretty cool. And uh, this guy whose name I'm not even going to try, but he's 17 and he's a guy. Uh, he says this, I can't believe Mongolia just won a gold medal. He's celebrating with his relatives and all these generations of people. He says, I can't believe he did it. This is amazing. I'm so happy I can only jump up and down. Uh, it's a pretty exciting, I mean, pretty exciting stuff. And I don't know if you watched um, uh, Michael Phelps. Have you been keeping up with Michael Phelps at all? You know, you guys know who Michael Phelps is? Okay, good. You can say yes. Okay. Um, did you watch Friday night, the seventh gold medal that he got? Everybody watched that? He, you know, the 100-meter butterfly, and he gets the butterfly, right? He gets to the, the halfway, the 50 meters, and he turns around, and he's like a half a length. And Sean and I are watching, and we're like, ah, it's over. You know, he got a silver this time, if that, and, you know, totally cool. And then he catches this guy, like... He, he, he catches up and, and then just barely one hundredth of a second touches before this guy. And Sean and I are going crazy. The announcers on TV are going crazy. And we're just like, I kept saying, I can't believe he did that. I, he, I can't believe that he could catch him in 50 meters and, and touch before and that half stroke that he takes right before he touches the wall. And I'm like, this is un. Believable, and then I see on the the internet this morning um, the uh, the hundred meter dash yesterday. A guy from Jamaica won the hundred meter dash, and and Scott and I are in the office early this morning, and and uh, we saw that the, he broke the world record for it, right? Nine point six nine seconds for a hundred meter dash. We we we, and when I say we, I mean Scott uh, mathematically figured out that to run the hundred meter dash in nine point six nine seconds, you're you're going 22 and a half miles an hour. You're traveling over 30 feet a second. That's pretty fast. You know what I mean? Like that's like not like human fast. That's like really, really, really fast. And when you see it's like the hundred meter dash, and and you look at that, you're like, ah, oh, they're pretty fast. But the cameras are kind of moving at the same pace, right? So it kind of. But these guys are flying, and it's just like, man, he. And so the emotion that you feel from that and the excitement, and I think especially of Michael Phelps, probably the highlight for me this whole Olympics, of just, I can't believe he did it. I can't believe he did that. And and really this morning, my desire, okay, my heart is that we would come away from the service and we'd be saying the same thing about Jesus Christ. I mean, as, as I've thought through this this passage this week and as I've thought through the truth of the scriptures and how Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of these prophecies, I mean, so many prophecies that were told so many hundreds of years before. And Jesus Christ comes and lives this perfect life and fulfills these prophecies exactly. And I think that a lot of us, we can, we can nod our heads and, and we can say, yeah, I know that. I know that the Bible says that the Messiah was going to come do that and Jesus did it. But do we really kind of look at this whole picture and realize 
what was accomplished by Jesus fulfilling all of these promises that were made hundreds of years before, where God spoke through these prophets and said, the Messiah that's going to come is going to be this, or be born here, or come this way, or this is going to happen to him, and everything perfectly through the life of Christ. And do we, do we really look at that, and even in a greater way than we look at something like Michael Phelps catching and passing a guy, Do we look at Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, the Son of God, the Messiah, and are we just so amazed that we're just like, I can't believe He did it. He did it. I can't. It's it's the Son of God, and He fulfilled all of these prophecies, and I can trust, and I can know, and I can celebrate, and really, that's my desire is that this morning we would celebrate who Jesus Christ is. And all that we have in him as the Messiah, the Son of God who came, the Savior of the world. And so I'd love for you to turn to um, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're going to start with verse 27. Acts 13, starting with verse 27, it says, For those who live in Jerusalem. Now, let me preface really quick and remind you, we're in the middle of a sermon that Paul is preaching here, okay? So we're jumping into the middle of Paul's sermon for today's sermon, okay? But he says this, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now as witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. The cry of our heart this morning is to bring you praise, um, not just with our lips and not just with our um, things that we say and even the things that we do, Father, but from our hearts, God, to be genuine and to um, honor you and to worship you and to celebrate you, Jesus, the Son of God, the fulfillment of prophecies. It's mind-boggling to think of Lord, how you spoke ahead of time and and fulfilled all of it through your son, Jesus Christ. Give us faith this morning, not just to nod and not just to acknowledge, but to celebrate Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, I want to start. um, I want to jump ahead uh, really quick and then we'll backtrack. Okay, but verses 32 and 33. Um. What Paul's saying in those verses, let me read them real quick again. It says, and we bring you the good 
news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. What Paul's saying is, um, the good news is this. The one that God promised in the Old Testament, the, the Messiah, has come. Okay. In other words, the good news is that Jesus is the son of God and promised Messiah and that there is biblical proof of it. And that's what he's referring here to. And he's the one who fulfilled the promises of God. And so we can look at the, the prophecies, the promises that were made hundreds of years before. And we can look at the life of Christ and we can look at the things that Jesus did. And we can have assurance that we can trust and have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ because, he's, because he, he was everything that was promised hundreds of years before would be, would be in the Messiah and in the Son of God. And so um, what are some of those prophecies just to, just to start off? And, and I want to um, have on the screen a verse from Genesis chapter 3. Right at the beginning of the Bible, um, you've got this whole situation where uh, God creates Adam and God creates Eve, God creates everything. And then remember Adam and Eve, they fall. They do the one thing that God told them not to do. They do it. And so there's this curse. And in the midst of all this, um, in, in Genesis 3.15, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the, the person that he's talking to is Satan, okay? The serpent, he's talking to Satan. But there's something in here that's pretty important because that word offspring is actually the word seed. Okay, and and the cool thing about that is women don't have seed. Did you know that? Okay, you can nod. Women don't have seed. Men do. And so from Genesis three, there is a promise, a prophecy of a virgin birth that God is going to through a man bruise or crush satan and he's going to do it through the woman's seed which is not there okay and so even from genesis 3 there's this there's this promise of one who's going to come who is born of a virgin isaiah um 7 14 let that come up on the screen it says this behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel there's another promise from the Old Testament where uh, the son, the Messiah, is going to be born of a virgin. Now, that is a miracle, right? It's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to comprehend that. It's hard for us to get it through our heads. How can a woman get pregnant without a man involved, right? But that was the promise from the Old Testament. That was the promise from Scripture and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 18 through 23, Luke 1, 26 through 35, tell the story of the birth of Christ and how an angel came and visited Mary, how an angel came and visited Joseph and, and said, don't worry, okay? What is happening is from the Lord. And, 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 and you're the blessed, you're the chosen one who's going to carry the Son of God. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' life, there's this fulfillment of this unbelievable promise, right? A virgin birth where, where Jesus would be born of, of a virgin. And so he comes into this world fulfilling these promises from the Old Testament. The other part of uh, Genesis 3.15 is that he would crush Satan, right? He would destroy the power of Satan. That this man, Hebrews 2.14 is, is a great passage. Do I have it up there? Nope. Go ahead and back up. I'm going to read it to you. 
Hebrews 2.14 says this. He himself, talking about Christ, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He has conquered Satan through his death. He's defeated him through his death. I want to look back um, for a little bit at the passage here, um, starting at verse 27 there. It says this. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, okay? Because I really want to go through these some of these promises, a few of these promises and, and the fulfillment of them. But it says in verse 27, it says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. Now, we talked about this, this passage a few weeks ago, but reminding you again, what he's saying is there's, there's these promises, these utterances of the prophets, the, the things that the prophets spoke, which are read every Sabbath, where the scriptures are read every Sabbath. And all of these promises that were made because these people condemned Christ, because they rejected him, they fulfilled those promises. Uh, God used them to fulfill the promises that he made about, about the death of Christ, about the death of the Messiah they were part of fulfilling those because they rejected him. And really what Paul's saying is the fact that they rejected and condemned Christ is a proof that Christ really is the son of God and that he really is the Messiah. Now, at the time, no way did people understand that. No way did people get that. Even the disciples, as they saw Jesus Christ hanging on this cross and suffering and dying, in their minds, they're like, we thought... We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. And we talked last week about Luke 24, right? The road to Emmaus and the two guys where Jesus is, 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 is walking with these guys. And, and they say to him, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And they say to him, we thought that, that he was the one to come. We thought Jesus was the one and they killed him. And Jesus then goes through and says, man, you missed it. Didn't, didn't you realize that this is what had to happen? And their eyes are open to him and, and all that. And so um, what, what Paul's saying is by the fact that they rejected him, by the fact that, that, that they um, condemned him to die, they fulfilled, the scriptures were fulfilled, the promises were fulfilled by them doing that. It goes on in verse 28 and it says, um, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. One of the craziest things about the death of Christ is he wasn't guilty of anything. I mean, you read the Gospels where, um, where the, 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 the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the rulers are, are, are assembled together to condemn Christ. And it says that they were making things up and even their arguments were conflicting with each other. And you think through um, John eighteen thirty eight, where Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. The one that was trying him brings him in front of the people and says, I'm going to let him go. I'll punish him and let him go because I find no guilt in him. In Luke 23, 14 and 15, it says that Herod did not find guilt of any, any of the guilt that the chief priests and the rulers charged him. He found no guilt in Christ. He was innocent. And that's what it's saying here in uh, verse 28. Even though they found in him no guilt, they had him executed. 
It's the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of things that were written hundreds of years before and that God said would take place through Jesus Christ. And it did. It happened because God was in control of all of it to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness, to bring grace to to people, to mankind. It goes on in verse 29. It says this. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. I, I love that. Not just what they wanted to do, what God had already said was going to happen. When they fulfilled all of the things that God had already said, God had already spoken through the prophets, all of the things that had been written about Christ, when those things were fulfilled, then they took him down. Now, I want to look at some of those things real quick. And and we talked about one passage um, that I'm just going to read before we have anything come up on the screen. But what were those things that were written about the, the Christ, the Son of God, before he was even born? What were the things that were written hundreds of years before? We, we looked at a, a, a passage on the screen last week from Isaiah 53, and it says this, Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed in isaiah 53 it's talking about the one who's to come and to suffer and to die jesus christ hundreds of years before talking about what would happen i'm going to have come up on the screen zechariah uh, chapter 9 verse 9 it says this rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud o daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey zechariah 500 years before christ was born writes this and says that that this king is going to come on a donkey and we know from from matthew 21 verses 2 through 7 if you if you look at the story where jesus rode into jerusalem and he came on the back of a colt right of a donkey and and rode into jerusalem a fulfillment of of what was written and that's what paul's saying here when when everything that was written about him was accomplished it was fulfilled once it was done once those promises were were kept then they took him down from the cross now that's just one okay that's just one where he rode in on a colt look at this next one zechariah 11 verse 12 Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. That's a prophecy about Judas. And we know in in uh, in Matthew 26, verse, verse 15, he he goes and betrays Jesus and turns Jesus in and says, I will hand him over to you. What will you give me in return? What do they say? 30 pieces of silver. How does Zachariah know that? 
How would he know to write that? How would he know to put that in writing and say this is what is exactly going to happen? Zechariah 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. What's he talking about there? The disciples. And Jesus even warned the disciples and and, and quoted this passage and said, when this takes place to me, the things that they're going to do to me, you guys are going to scramble. You're going to bail on me. You're going to leave. And that's where Peter makes this great promise. Even if they kill me, Lord, I'm going to stay with you. I will not deny you. I will not leave you. Well, what happened? Scripture, not Peter's word, but Scripture was fulfilled. And we know in Matthew 26, 56, it says that when they came and took Christ and arrested him and took him away, what happened to the disciples? They ran. They fled. They left him. Psalm 109, verse 25. The psalmist writes this, I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. When Jesus was on the cross, it says in in Matthew 27, um, verse 39. Let me read that. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In John 19, verses 23 and 24, it talks about how when they put him on the cross and, or, or when they arrested him and they took his, his clothing, that says that the soldiers um, divided his garments. They cast lots for his, his robe because they didn't want to tear it. It was one piece of material. They didn't want to tear it and, and, and ruin the, the value of it, and so they cast lots for it. How did the psalmist know that? How would he know to write that? Psalm 69, verse 21. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Matthew 27, 34. What did they do when Jesus said on the cross, I thirst? Took a sponge, right? Put it on the end of a stick and put it in in sour wine and vinegar and, and held it up to his mouth to give him a drink. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Remember when Jesus was on the cross and, and he looks out and, and he says those words, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you thought about that? Uh, what are the Psalms? Do I know what are the Psalms? You can say it out loud. Songs, right? They're songs. They're songs of worship. They're songs of praise to the Lord and and and. I, just think about that, okay? As Jesus is on the cross, and he's looking out among these people and he says that one line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would that have been? The title of a song, right? It would have been the first line or the title of a song. And imagine being there and all those people knew the Psalms. I mean, in that culture, people knew what the Psalms said. They knew the scriptures. They sang these things. They, they were purposeful in memorizing passages because they didn't have a Bible like this that everyone could take home. And so they would put all this to memory. And imagine Jesus on the cross just saying to them the name of this song, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does the rest of that song say? 
Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, I, by night, but I find no rest. That you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Imagine thinking through that song as Jesus is on the cross. They said those things. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him fulfillment of what the promises were made in the old testament just a couple more psalm 31 verse 5 into your hand i commit my spirit you have redeemed me O lord faithful god luke 23 46 jesus says that on the cross right before he breathes his last into your hands i commit my spirit psalm 34 verse 20 he keeps all his bones not one of them is broken. Remember when he was on the cross and and it was it was going to be the Sabbath and 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 so the they come to the soldiers and they say, you know what, let's let's get this over with. And so the soldiers go and they're going to break the legs of the people on the cross, the three guys on the cross, so that they can't breathe anymore. So they can't push themselves up and they can't take a breath and they'll die quickly that way. And when they come to Jesus, what do they find? They find he's already dead. And so they pierce him in the side and. And check and see if he's really dead. And they didn't have to break a bone in his body. Just like, just like was promised in the Old Testament. That he wouldn't have bones broken. And even though the two soldiers that were, or the two criminals that were right beside him had their legs broken, they didn't do that to Christ. That's fulfillment of promises. That's fulfillment of things that were said hundreds of years before. John MacArthur says this, the very fact that the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would be crucified is amazing. Crucifixion was not a Jewish form of execution, if indeed it was even known to them in the Old Testament times. Yet, Psalm 22 and Numbers 21 picture such a death. They didn't even crucify people, and they, they probably didn't even know about it. And yet God spoke through these men 500 or more years, depending on the prophecy, and said that this is what's going to happen to the Son of God. And it happened. And that's what Paul's saying here. When everything that was written was fulfilled, then they took him down from the cross. One more thing, his burial. Isaiah 53 verse 9 says this, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Most people who were executed, their bodies were tossed into a mass grave. That didn't happen to Jesus. That's what Isaiah is saying here. They made his grave with the wicked. That's what should have happened. It should have just been where he was tossed in with, with a bunch of other people, but instead with a rich man in his death. What happened to Christ when he was on the cross and died? A rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, came and requested his body so that he could give him a proper burial. 
And it wasn't handled the same way. Fulfillment of the things that were written about Christ. How would Isaiah have known to write that? How would Isaiah have known to do that? I just wonder as we, as we think through those things, as we look at the prophecies that were written so many hundreds of years before, and we look at Jesus, the person of Jesus who fulfilled every single one. And by the way, we're just scratching the surface. Uh, there are so many more things that were fulfilled through Christ and so many things that are yet to be fulfilled that were promised. But I wonder as we look at those things and, I, and, and as we think through how Christ fulfilled them, how does that compare to the Michael Phelps race? Honestly, not just, you know, not just me calling on you to say it's better. Um, honestly, in my heart. What we prayed at the beginning, the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from inside. And inside, can I honestly say that I look at the person of Jesus Christ and how he fulfilled all of these promises. And I'm way more excited about that than I am about Michael Phelps touching one fingernail in front of someone else. That's tough, isn't it? I was pretty vocal in my living room about Michael Phelps. I was pretty excited. I was yelling a lot about it. In my heart, do I rejoice? Am I just as amazed? Am I just as excited? Am I just all of those emotions that come with knowing incredible truth? Emotions follow that. I mean, you proved that this week when you watched that race, probably. You proved the emotions that come from seeing something unbelievable happen. There's emotions that follow that. There's joy that follows that. Am I, am I that Joyful, am I that excited about Jesus Christ? Verse 30 in, in Acts. It goes on, it says, But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the, from the dead. Of all the proofs, of all the fulfillments of prophecy, this is the greatest fulfillment and the greatest proof that Jesus really was the Son of God, right? Romans 1, verse 4 was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was declared to be the Son of God by His death and by His resurrection from that. You know, Paul's sermon, is, as if, you, if you go back through and read um, from the beginning of Paul's sermon where, where it really starts in, in verse 13 uh, of Acts 13, and you read through the end of the sermon especially through that first half. What, what do we talk about he's doing? Talking about how all of the Old Testament, all of those things from the Old Testament were looking ahead to the climax of history, Jesus Christ. All of those things from the Old Testament are looking forward. They're looking ahead to what is to come. And everything since then is looking back at the climax of history, Jesus Christ. But everything since then also looks ahead because of his resurrection and the hope that it brings that he's conquered the grave and he's giving us hope of eternal life because he conquered death. He conquered the grave. And so now we look back on this pinnacle of history and, and what everything was created for redemption, for God to be glorified through through his son, Jesus Christ. And we look back on that, but we also look forward at the hope that we have through the resurrection. 
He goes on in verses 31 through 33, and, and it says, And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. So, so people saw. Uh, he visited with people. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8 says that, um, that Jesus met with over 500 people after he was resurrected. 500 people who actually saw him, heard him, talked to him, some touched him. And he met with those people. And, and, uh, and Paul says here, it says, um, He appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So he, he, he meets with these people, these, these 500 plus people see him, and, and then they begin to tell people. Uh, they begin to get pretty excited about the fact that the guy that they saw die, the guy that they loved, the guy that they followed, the guy that they lived for was alive. And they begin to tell people, and they begin to advance the kingdom, and they begin to rejoice and, 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 and go and tell others about the person of Christ and how They've seen now that he's the fulfillment of all of these scriptures and people begin to believe. And that's what really we have this story in the book of, of Acts where the gospel is just being going like crazy as people are, are seeing and believing Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He's the fulfillment of all these promises. Verses 33 um, through 37, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as a as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in, in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So he has these three passages from the Old Testament that he references. Psalm 2-7 is the one that says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that promise from the Old Testament that the Messiah was to be the Son of God, the literal Son of God. Isaiah 55, um, verse 3, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, the second quote um, that he gives there. And, and also Psalm um, 1610, you will not let your holy one see corruption. It's this promise that the Messiah is, is not going to, um, he's going to live on and on and on. He's not going to see corruption. He will never, ever die. He will reign forever. Well, David died. And that's what the point of verses 36 and 37 is, is this. The, the writer of that died, and so he can't be talking about himself. And what Paul is, is saying is a, a lot of people were looking at that and thinking that it was David that was saying that. And he's saying that can't be. We know that David died. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this. He rose again and will live and reign forever and ever and ever. There's an old um, chorus that we used to sing uh, when I was growing up, and uh, it's it, you may you may know it. Don't sing it, um, but it, the words were just this: "What a mighty God we serve! What a mighty God we serve! Uh, angels bow before Him, heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve!" I just think as I've as I've looked through this, do we do we realize how incredible? It is that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of just of just these promises that we made. Now, there's so many more. There's so many more promises. There's so many more prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. 
Uh, we just talked about, really, from the time he was uh, riding into Jerusalem until he died, until he was resurrected, right? And we talked about his virgin birth. There's so much more. There's so many more promises that were fulfilled exactly. As we think through that, how do we respond to Jesus? Is it just, yeah, I knew that already. This is just a recap of stuff I learned a long time ago. Or or do we really stop and think about, man, he did it. Jesus Christ did it. He fulfilled the promises. He was perfect. And he had no sin, and yet they put him to death and fulfilled the promises that God made for one who was to come and, and be the Savior of mankind. And so now I know, because he is the fulfillment of that, that if I do believe in him, like Scripture says, if I do believe in him and put my trust in him as the payment, as the ransom, as the one who can redeem me from my sin, as the one who can restore my relationship with God, then I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And do I celebrate that in my heart? Do I rejoice in that in my heart as a... The way that I rejoice the unimportant things. Still true in, in Acts 13, verses 32 through 33, what we started with, where, where Paul says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. A few verses back in verse 25, Paul's quoting John the Baptist and saying how John um, said of Jesus, the sandals of his feet, I am not worthy to untie. How worthy is the Son of God of our worship, of our living for him, of, of our giving everything to him, of our believing, of believing in him. It's hard sometimes we get into difficult circumstances, difficult situations. It's, we get tempted to not believe and to think about ourselves and, and woe is me and what I'm going through. How worthy is Jesus to just believe in him even when difficulties come and to know that he reigns. He reigns. He fulfilled all of those and he will fulfill all of the rest. He's the son of God. And when Philippians 2 says that every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess, I can trust that that will come true. Because he's been victorious in everything. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. And thank you for his resurrection. And thank you, God, that you made promises hundreds of years before. You didn't just send your son into the world and expect us to just to buy it. You promised. You gave us in writing all of these things that, that you said were going to happen, and they happened exactly the way you said they would happen. So that we can look at that and know 2,000 years later, we can look at that and have assurance and know you are faithful you are good. You are so loving. You're so gracious. You're so kind that you would give us Jesus, the fulfillment of your promises. That you would give us salvation and forgiveness through the things that he endured, through his blood that was shed on the cross. May we not take that for granted today, Lord. May we not just go from here and 
having heard another Sunday school lesson. May we look at Your Word and may we look at Your Son and may we celebrate in a way we've never celebrated before in our lives. May we rejoice in our heart. May our spirit just overflow with worship and thankfulness and and joy. We love you and we thank you for all that you've given us in Christ. And we confess right now he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we long to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. We pray all these things in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.